Welcome to another edition of the Hang Time Podcast. My name is John Schumann. Uh, you're hearing my voice first because I am uh, at home in New Jersey uh, waiting to go down to game three of Raptors Sixers. My main man, Sekou Smith, is in Denver where he's about to get on a plane to go to Portland. So we wanted to check in with you, Sekou, before you uh, get on that plane and let's talk Nuggets Blazers where... Portland, even the series last night, without getting much of a, a, a big game from Damian Lillard. Yeah, sure. They got they got a big game from the Miracles, or whatever Dame's supporting cast is called in Portland. I'll find out later today when I land out there and ask people. You look around the entire league, shoe, and all these series except for Warriors-Rockets, you know, are super competitive. You know, they've split series so far. And Portland has as good a chance of, of anybody, to me of grinding their way to the conference finals this year. I, I laughed when Charles and Kenny were talking about Portland going to the finals, but it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't seem as crazy and far-fetched now as it did when they first started talking about it. They're, they're not a fancy team. They're no frills, but they're just grimy enough to to win, you know, games on the road, to win in places they shouldn't, in moments and situations they shouldn't. Denver's the best home team in the league this year and they couldn't get closer than five points down the stretch last night so kudos to terry stotts and his staff and just how meticulous they are and how their team grinds i mean they played without two starters last night you know nurkic is out obviously and you know uh, mo harkless turned an ankle in the first half they got like you mentioned they got very little you know scoring from dame like, like they're used to and they still found a way to win that game so um, Friday night's huge at Motor Center. We'll see if they can, you know, go up with a commanding, you know, for, for the time being, of course. I mean, commanding being 2-1 leads in, in this playoffs right now is pretty shaky. But if they do that, you know, they put themselves in a really good position. Yeah, I was surprised. Like, Zach Collins, they're get, getting 10 points and six boards on the road from Zach Collins is huge. And it wasn't like he was just playing off other guys, like standing in the corner and catching and shooting. Like, he posted up Mason Plumley a couple times, got a couple buckets inside. Like, I was like, you know, they're not only getting contributions from guys, they're, like, running the offense through other guys, which was just totally un-Blazers-like. But, hey, you know, you you, you get it done as, as, well as, uh, as well as you can. Yeah, and, and I thought their defense was the bigger thing for them last night. What they did was they started – limiting the space that Jokic could get around the basket. He was basically playing from three-point line to three-point line last night, which I don't know if that was him being fatigued as much as it was their defense, just picking him up in different spaces and kind of their coverage is changing. Terry Stotts won't give you anything. We, you know, He gets asked about it every day, about specifics, about what they're changing. He never, he never gives up the details, which is smart, obviously, for him. But I thought you know, the the reason that Cantor and Collins were so effective, and they didn't even play with Myers Leonard last night, but the reason they were so effective is because Jokic never took over around the rim on both ends the way he did in game one. Like, he couldn't get into those sweet spots at the basket and or finish the way he, he normally did. I mean, they, they went crazy down the stretch getting offensive rebounds, and it was like, you know, him and Paul Millsap playing volleyball. They just kept tapping the ball all over the place, but not being as efficient or effective enough for it to matter, you know, during those stretches. So it, Collins was 
was big. I mean, they had a lot of big contributions from guys all over the roster last night. Yeah, Denver missed some opportunities. I mean, they missed some open threes. Malik Beasley had an incredible offensive rebound late and then mit- and got fouled and then missed both free throws. Missed both free as, throws, yeah. As they were trying to cut that seven, eight-point deficit down to, you know, two or three. Um, but, yeah, if you look at the at the – the stats, you know, the difference between game one and game two is on the Denver end of the floor, the biggest difference, where they scored 121 points per 100 possessions in game one and then just 96 in uh, in game two. So that was sort of the bigger difference was was the Denver offense side. And they missed some good looks. I mean, they missed some some bunnies, some threes. But, but yeah, I think Portland was just much better defensively last night than they were uh, over the weekend. Yeah, and look, being in the building – you know, you, you wonder what kind of effect the moment has on some of those guys. And you could tell, like, Torrey Craig got knocked around. And, then, you know, I was stunned that he came back out and played because he got whacked in the nose pretty good. But you can see that the pressure got to Jamal Murray a little bit. To some of those other young guys, Gary Harris, they, they were – you wondered what they looked like under duress, you know, with Portland turning the pressure up defensively because Portland was not very good defensively in game one. They acknowledged that. Everybody saw that. Once they turned the pressure up on them, it was it was interesting to see how the Nuggets reacted. They they played tight. I mean, they got a little nervous. And Mike Malone was he, – he praised his team afterwards. Michael Malone, excuse me. You know, for playing and as hard as they did, Torrey Craig, for, for coming back out and playing when he clearly could have sat. The rest of that game out, I mean, nobody could have blamed him for it. He was, he got knocked around again late in a little incidental contact within his canter that really boiled overboard when it shouldn't have. It wasn't that big a deal. But that that's a part of the playoffs. You, you know, who responds and reacts to the moment and the pressures in, in the right way or in the effective ways. If you don't, you lose. You know, and if you do, you, have a, you give yourself an opportunity to win. I mean, Portland did not choke away the opportunity late last night, even with Damian Lillard at something significantly less than what he's used to being. And that was, to me, what was remarkable about it and uh, why they go home with a split and with home court with a chance to to wrestle control of the series in their way. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see how they react, you know, with that pressure on their shoulders. What was your prediction on this series before the series started? Nuggets and seven. Any desire to change that at this point? Now you're now you're asking me the questions I usually ask you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe Friday night, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, no, I, mean, no, I, 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 think, I wouldn't. They they can certainly win a game on the road. Um, yeah, you know, they have yeah. that ability, and and Portland is can be hot or cold. You know. Um, yeah, the more shocking issue was that the, the Nuggets were the best team in the league at home during the regular season, played as poorly as they did. I thought the, the performance they gave us in game two was what we might have seen in game one when they were worn out from a seven-game series in, a, in an emotional game seven against the Spurs and playing on 36 hours rest or whatever. I thought that might be the the energy and effort they gave in game one, which turned out not to be the case. They were great in game one. They they played with a bounce and, and uh, energy that I was kind of surprised to see. Last night was what I was expecting. Monday night, and it showed up in game two. So, it, it, and, and they'll adjust, you know, you know how these series are from game to game. Everybody's making adjustments and tweaking stuff and changing coverages on defense, which is fascinating because we don't, we don't spend as much time worrying about 
those things during the regular season when the opponent is changing all the time. But in the playoffs, when you have to lock in on that same opponent day after day, those things to me become infinitely more important. And Portland showed you that they went back, did their homework, made the adjustments, and it took. Sounds good. You have game three uh, in Portland. That is Friday night. Friday night. We'll see. We're going to bring in Steve Ashburner, who has landed in Boston. He's covering Bucks Celtics, covered the first two games in Milwaukee, where they split. So we got another 1-1 series. Um, and before we start talking about that, you guys want to do a little uh, trivia before we let Seku go? Yeah, no, I, want Aaron, ask, I want Aaron to do the trivia by himself. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, you, you stay on the phone. You stay on the phone before before we get that. It's a it's a fairly fairly quick one. Should be a fairly quick one. All right. So in these playoffs, we've had forty nine games so far, and not one of them has gone to overtime. And maybe part of that is that offense has been pretty good when team when games have gotten close. So so far in these playoffs. Players are 12 for 24 on shots to tie or take the lead in the final minute of the fourth quarter, which is great. It's 50%, and the averages in, you know, in the regular season was in the 30s. But here's my question. Who are the only two players in these playoffs that have two, two baskets to tie or take the lead in the final minute of the fourth quarter? <laughs> and here's the hint. Both of them did it in the same game, so meaning that they had – Two baskets in the same final minute. Um, not in the same, not each player did in the same game, but player one did it, had two baskets in one game in the final minute of the fourth quarter to tie or take the lead. And player two had two baskets in a, in a, in a game to tie or take the lead. Well, I'm going to jump in and say Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard is one, yes. He had the game winner against Oklahoma City in game five, and that was preceded by a layup that tied the game. Uh, he basically uh, drove around uh, Dennis Schroeder and got a reverse layup that tied that game before he went and then hit the hit the game winner on the next possession. The other one, Eastern Conference, a team that has been eliminated, and it happened in game one of his series. He hit two baskets, one to tie, and then one, uh, I think it was one to tie. Or, he had a, a layup and then hit, a, just like Lillard, hit a, lay, a layup and then hit a game-winning three. In game one of his series. Oh, DJ Augustine. DJ Augustine, yes, correct. Those are two guys. What do I win? <laughs> you want a trip to Boston. You're in dying respect. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll buy you a, a media meal uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right, Sekou, we're going to let you go. Uh, head out to Portland. Enjoy. Uh, going to the uh, Nike uh, employee store and, and going wild. Um, no doubt. I appreciate it. I'll, uh, I, I know you, size. I'll take care of you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, guys. You know what I like. All right. Safe travels. All right, Ash. What do you think is the, the big difference in between Boston's win in game one and uh, Milwaukee's win in game two of, of your yeah, series? Yeah, I mean – blowout to blowout, uh, just flipping uh, direction. Um, I think a sense of urgency, I mean, if you want to take sort of a big umbrella on it for the Bucs, um, you know, they won the most games in the regular season in the NBA, and they breezed through the Pistons in the first round. That was really not any sort of a test. Waited around and then coughed up home court advantage, which had been such a big deal for them, 
uh, right away against the Celtics and, and in a rather um, a woeful uh, performance. And, and I think that you know, there's no way they could have, uh, if they fell down 0-2 going into Boston, um, Paul Pierce was saying it was over after one game, you know, but a lot of us would have been saying it was over after two. So um, I think I think that was sort of the tone setter. And then um, they saw real clearly what they had failed to do well uh, in, in game one. And, you know, they, they were determined to, to largely stick with their style, believing in it from the course of the season. Now, I, I quibbled with that. I, I felt adjustments are mandatory in the playoffs and and particularly for a team like the Bucs I mean they strike me as a team whose style is such that if you catch them or they catch you on a random Tuesday in January well yeah they're going to have an advantage the way they played with their their dropping defense and giving up you know uh, as many two-point shots it seems as long as they're outside the paint as as you want to take but Boston took a bunch of those and made a bunch of those and so it's like well you're just going to let them do that for four games and lose all four that didn't make any sense and so you know they mix things up and the, and the biggest one i thought was they they're not a team that switched defenses like uh you know it's become such the rage in in the league and here they had uh, defender switching and um i think that 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 instilled an energy in them i mean there was some confusion i saw bucks players sort of banging into each other because they weren't used to doing this but um it, it, it kind of revved up Boston's offense. I mean, when you listen to Kyrie afterwards, he felt his biggest failing was not setting the tone and setting the pace and that they were rushing things and, and looked a little chaotic in response to the defensive chaos. So that was big. They started Miritich and, and Buttonholzer, um, the Bucks coach, uh, praised him primarily for giving him some size and some defense. When uh, Nikola Miritich is praised for defense, you know something is going on. So um, yeah, if the Bucks if the, if the Bucks are switching, yeah. you'd think Ir- that's the matchup that Irving would want to attack. Like, hey, put Miritich in pick and roll and let Irving um, go at him. That's why that's a that's a you know it's a scary proposition to put him in the starting lineup just because of of that that end of the floor. That you know if if Irving can get him in pick and roll, um, you know he shouldn't um, be able to meet it, uh, move his feet well enough to to stay in front. But if Ir- Irving, you know obviously didn't had a struggled himself. Um, if he can't take care of advantage of that matchup, then the bucks are in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. And, and, you know, I thought Kyrie who had played sort of a classic game, uh, game one with, um, uh, 25 points or so and 11 assists. I mean, just really controlled and ran things for the Celtics. Um, he looked, he looked, uh, he had an off night shooting. I consider him the best shot maker in the NBA and and it, he just was he was putting up shots that I thought were a little early in the clock. Sometimes he could have found you know uh, another dribble or something. He could have found not necessarily towards the rim, but in any direction he prefers, could have found a better uh, option. It just seemed like boy, the, the Celtics overall were playing into Milwaukee's hands. Now, one thing I do have to say is that the first game when Giannis couldn't get it going by running repeatedly into the wall of defense that Boston put out there, um, his teammates didn't seem to help that much. They didn't get to their spots as quickly as, as we've seen them do. They didn't seem as eager to shoot the ball, to pull somebody out, you know, and, and all away from Giannis. And Middleton uh, really was the guy, in my opinion, that got that going. He was, he was determined to take those shots that weren't there and weren't taken 
uh, in game one. He took him in game two, and he got it going because Giannis, yeah, Giannis didn't have a basket until you know well into that into the game um, uh, game two. So you know it wasn't as if you know he came out with something remarkably different. He played he played better, and and he was more consistent over the course of the game. But you know, they 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 fell behind early, and I, and I thought, well, here we go again. And uh, then Middleton, you know, started to demand that that Boston, you know play him honestly and then Brooke Lopez got involved and, and Bledsoe was aggressive then and probably smelled some blood in the water with Kyrie not having his best game and and you know then it was you know downhill momentum for the, for Milwaukee. Yeah I, I think Boston continues to do a really good job of taking away Antetokounmpo's runway like basically let him get within five feet of the basket but don't let him get that last step clean last step where he can elevate um, and and rise like basically, you know, bend, but don't break, um, and keep him, you know, from, from being able to climb, climb the ladder, so to speak, um, with that last step, he's going to draw some fouls on a lot of those plays. And he, you know, he had 18 free throw attempts in game two. Um, but like, they're going to make it to like, somebody else is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to either develop a floater at some point, you know, Boston has done the same thing with Ben Simmons when they played, faced him in the playoffs too. And in the regular season. Um, he's got to sort of develop a floater at some point, or, um, you know, he's got to be willing to kick it out and other guys have got to be aggressive in, in shooting off the catch. And I think, like you said, Middleton was, was, was more aggressive, um, in game two and that, and obviously shot really well, seven for 10 from three. Um, I, I don't know what it is against the Celtics in the playoffs that gets into Chris, <laughs> yeah. Middleton, but the guy doesn't miss again, apparently against that team. So, other guys got to make shots and, and, and he's got to, um, you know, be willing to pass out of those situations where he drives and, and, and hits the wall, you know, one or two steps from the basket. Uh, like you said. Well, you know, we talk about how prescient we are or aren't when we write things uh, about what's, what's going to happen next. And, you know, at the start of the series, I wrote about how look out for the Celtics because they're going to um, sucker Giannis into some charging fouls and that will lead to him being more passive and he'll be less aggressive. And, you know, in the first quarter of uh, game two, after what happened in game one, I'm thinking to myself, he almost needs to take a charge. He need, he needs to create a, you know, and run over a guy and just to, just to, just to assert himself and, and try to break that wall or do whatever it is. It's like the, the fear of him becoming passive because he gets early foul trouble was more just a matter of him being stymied because he couldn't solve the um, second and third guys. And, and uh, you know, in Boston, they weren't, they weren't just sort of planting and hoping that Giannis would Euro step into them. I mean, they were, they were sagging down and, and, you know, and Horford just continues to do a, a tremendous job of blocking, blocking the Greek freak shots. Like, you know, no one I've seen. <laughs> Horford's a man. Horford is, uh, we've talked about it on here lots of the Horford's their most important player. I think when you consider both ends of the floor, um, and sort of the overlapping skill set of their perimeter guys. Like they have other guys who can get buckets if, if Irving's not around. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I did think that there was a one point um, in that maybe first half of game two where I was like, wow, he keeps going. Like he's not, he, they haven't stopped him from attacking the paint. Like he keeps going. They, they're still there, but he hasn't, yeah. he hasn't said, all right, I'm just going to pull up from mid range or, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, shoot more threes. He, he, he keeps attacking. He, he knows that, um, 
you know, even if he's not getting all the way to the basket, he's at least drawing uh, extra attention. And if he can make the right read um, when he does, then that that's a that's a positive for uh, for the Bucks. Um, yeah, but so, he's also trying to kick it out of a tangle of arms at that point, yeah, and that, point. His, his passes aren't as clean. Yeah, good point. So going into games three and four in Boston, what is the likelihood that we see Malcolm Brogdon and or Marcus Smart um, going forward in this series? Yeah, you know that's a that's a, an, an interesting element that adds a little bit of intrigue here. It's almost like a race back. Um, to active, you know, activity for uh, two pretty important guards. Smart is just such a, you know, a valuable guy. I mean, glue guy does all the hustle things. He would have been a candidate, you know, if if they weren't doing this wall thing and and, and doubling Giannis, he'd have been a candidate, just kind of like Patrick Beverly against uh, Durant to. Um, despite a height a disadvantage to uh, put some time in on Giannis. He's just a tough player and, and so vital to what Boston does when it's at its best. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, they, were, they weren't even close. Uh, and Brad Stevens seems to not even want to know. He, he sort of waits to hear from the medical people when they give him a, uh, a green light. And until then, um, you know, he's, he's not going to be counting on him. I mean, the, the quirk we have is that they play game three tomorrow night, Friday, and then they play game four Monday night. So you got a pretty big break in there. So there's some time for either of those guys. Malcolm Brogdon, of course, he, he made his mark this season with his, his shooting accuracy. He's, you know, one of those rare birds who hit half his shots from the, uh, from the field. Uh, 40% of his three-pointers and, and 90% of his free throws. And a 50-40-90 guy, you know, to not have him around as a as an aggressive shooter. I mean, he was sorely missed in game one. And, and you always want, you know, you always want a shooter like that. And I also think, you know, if they are going to do some switching or something, if he's out on the floor, he's sort of that, you know, between size where he can, uh, he's mobile enough and, he, and you know, he can, uh, he can, he can handle some of those switches. So, the question with him, he's coming back from a plantar fascia tear, and, and um, he's he's been doing pretty full workouts, not necessarily with the team because the team's not doing as much at this time of year. But once they're done and shooting free throws, he goes on the other side of the gym. They pull pull a curtain down to keep our, our prying eyes away, and then uh, you hear you hear he's being put through. Um, you know the pace is pretty good, so. Um, yeah, that sounded more like three and four, um, quite possible for Malcolm Brogdon. So, you know, whichever whichever team gets its reinforcement uh, soonest might have a little bit of advantage there. You're right. But yeah, it's a good point though that if if with a with a um, you know a Friday Monday schedule, not playing either of those guys in games three means you gain three extra days of of, yep. of rest or or recovery so to speak. It's an interesting point. I'll be curious to see um, how things go. And I'm sure we probably won't know about either guy until, you know, (laughs) 10 minutes before tip off uh, on Friday night. Um, But that is 8 8 p.m. ESPN Friday, uh, ESPN doubleheader Friday night, Bucks at Celtics and then Nuggets at Blazers. Before we get that, get to that, um, we have one Thursday night game. That's my game. We're in Philadelphia, Raptors, Sixers. That series tied one-to-one. If you look at the difference between games one and game two, it's on the, the Raptors end of the floor where Toronto was remarkably efficient in game one and then struggled in game two, which was actually like their fourth worst offensive game of the season when you count regular season and playoffs. Um hmm. 
there's interesting, like, you know, Ben Simmons got the Kawhi Leonard assignment from the start. Uh, Joel Embiid on Pascal Siakam from the start in game one. That was the Sixers' big adjustment. Um, you know, they were willing to say, hey, we need to do something different uh, in, in game two, other than the other than not like the uh, your Bucks, although they start made, made a starting lineup change. And I think they, they uh, you know, Leonard still had 35 points, but they got the ball out of his hands a little bit more than than usual. And it's a weird thing where teams sometimes ask for ball movement, but the Raptors passed the ball a lot more in game two and than they did in game one, and that didn't work out, partly because Leonard is such a great isolation scorer, such a good pick-and-roll scorer, that getting the ball out of his hands can, can work out for you. Danny Green did not shoot well, missed two shots, two threes to tie in the final minute and uh, or final 65 seconds or so. I think this one this is another one. I think, you know, I, I, after game one, shoot, I was standing around with a bunch of writers at Sixers practice and we're thinking, man, this, there's no way, you know, the Sixers can beat this team there. You know, Toronto is definitely the more talented team. And then game two happens and, 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 you know, it's amazing how, um, in this, in these series that two, <laughs> two games in the same location within two nights of each other can be completely, completely different. Yeah, we we saw that in Milwaukee, and I, you know, um, people in Milwaukee, you know, media people, um, uh, they paid attention to the Toronto and, and, and Philadelphia games. You know, they're they're saying Toronto's going to win the series quickly. You know, after after Game One, everybody making their hotel uh, reservations, uh, canceling their Philadelphia hotel reservations after. Uh... I don't know if they went that far, but they were certainly talking up the uh, the Raptors as uh, oh they'll 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 breeze through, and then it's just they're going to be playing the Celtics or the Bucks, you know, and it's like. I don't know about that. I mean, uh, Philadelphia's got some, some, you know, big time players, and I like that that use of Simmons on uh, on Leonard. I mean, he's your best defender uh, out there. Uh, you know, Jimmy Butler might have been in the past, but that's not Jimmy Butler's agenda these days. You know, maybe in spurts or in a pivotal game, but I think uh, Ben Simmons athletically is just their best choice defensively. And boy, I, I uh, yeah, I'm. I'm Philadelphia's to me got the star power to uh, to take over, and I, I wonder. I mean, Kyle Lowry is. Are we settling for a different Kyle Lowry from this point forward? Well, you know what? It's I think with with Leonard being as good as he is, and with Pascal Siakam now being sort of the secondary scorer and absolutely worthy of that. You know, they think there's a little bit less pressure on Lowry to to score, right? Like in previous playoff years, if Kyle Lowry had a bad game, like that was the story. Like he's Kyle Lowry, Lowry and DeRozan. You know, those are the two guys. And if Lowry had a big uh, a bad game, which happened often, like that was the story. Like it was all about Kyle Lowry's playoff performance and the ups and downs and his confidence going here and there and him shooting in the gym after after one of the one home playoff. Right. That's right. But I think yep. with this team, there's less pressure on him to 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 score one because you have Leonard and Siakam, and two because I think this could be the best defensive team that the Raptors have. They've now held their opponent under a point per possession in six straight games. So the last four games mm-hmm. of the Orlando series, and then the first two games of this series, they just came up empty themselves offensively in game two. So I don't think we have to like measure Kyle Lowry's offense every, every court, you know, every t- 12 minutes be like, all right, what's Lowry yeah. shooting, you know, uh, but I, yeah. I think it does need to be able to have the confidence to step into that three when it, when it's, when it's provided to him, he has been a really good pull up three point shooter in the past. He's got to be aggressive. Um, so that 
you know, so much isn't on Leonard because Leonard isn't the most willing playmaker. I think that's the advantage with Philly where whether it's, you know, guarding him with Simmons or just showing him more bodies in general, what Leonard isn't uh, LeBron in regards to his passing skill and his passing willingness. And so if you can sort of force him to pass, that may be to, to your advantage because, um, it's not his, you know, he's, he, like, he's a guy that primarily looks to get his own shot, you know, in, in, uh, in game one, that was the case. Like he took 23 shots and passed the ball 19 times in, wow. game, two, he, yeah. in game two, he passed the ball twice as much. He passed the ball 38 times. And so it's, it's an, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I expect Toronto to respond. Um, I think their defense will continue to be really good. I think they need to uh, adjust their rotation a bit so that Serge Ibaka isn't facing Joel Embiid um, nearly as much because the Raptors through two games have been destroyed in those, the, in those minutes, the uh, Sixers are plus 28, I think in 26 minutes with Ibaka on the floor against Embiid. Um, so yeah. they need to sort of have Marcus Gasol, uh, mirror and beats minutes more than they have. Um, and that's really where the, where, uh, you know, it's been two, these two starting lineups were terrific in the, in the first round and the Toronto starting lineup has had the advantage over the Philly starting lineup. It's been in those sort of hybrid bench slash starter minutes that, that Sixers have, have, uh, had the advantage. So that's sort of what I look forward in, in, into game three. But you're right. Like we we've been anticipating these Eastern Conference semifinals from probably since November, once we realized how good the Bucks were. And so far, they've they've lived up to the billing. We haven't had you know we've only had one close game. That was Game Two in Toronto. But as far as all four teams sort of stepping up and 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 playing well, I think we've seen we've we've seen examples of all of it. You got what was your prediction for Bucks Celtics at the start of that series? Well, you made our official oh, prediction. Right. I kind of, I kind of wiggle out from under it, but I'll be honest, and I'll, I'll say that I was, I was predicting Boston in, in six. And, wow. and okay. the reason, the reason um, I did that is, uh, you know, I've, I've seen this Milwaukee team a fair amount. You know, being based in Chicago, so I get up there quite a lot, and I was there through the Jason Kidd years, and, and just everything else. This is the first. I mean, they've only once before in the last thirty years even gotten out of the first round. Right. And, I, and I, what I had said earlier, where I thought maybe their style was a little bit uh, gimmicky and could be solved, especially by a coach like Brad Stevens. I mean, not to uh, guide him up or anything, because, you know, he's had his failings as well. But, you know, when, I, when, I, when Brad Stevens and his staff are locking in with the, with the versatile roster that he has to, uh, to choose from, I just thought that um, the Bucks' reliance on three-pointers and Giannis um, seemed like, something they could they could chew on fairly well and i you know i give both teams credit that i expected the series to end on the winner's home court you know the idea that milwaukee would win in six in boston doesn't make any more sense to me than the celtics winning in seven you'd be surprised how many you'd be surprised how many series i I did a looked at this once maybe a few years ago there's a decent percentage of series that end with the winner uh winning on on the road the final game on the road but I mean, you, I you gotta filter out. For, you gotta filter out first round because well, the sweeps that are, sort of, you know yeah. almost always take place. Yeah, it still happens. It still happens. Yeah. Um, I trust you. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I I'm gonna stick with that. Um, Celtics at and this six. point. All right. I, 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 I predicted Bucks and six. I'm not feeling so 
great about that. But I still, I feel, I think, I think Celtics and six or Bucks and seven is a legit is is probably where I'm leaning at this point. But um, you know, that's who knows. Like I, I like you know, every game is its own game. Um, I do think, like to your point, that Boston is a better playoff team than a regular season team in that they can focus on one opponent and game plan for that one opponent and execute that game plan really well with the, with the sort of veteran group that they have and Al Horford being the the sort of the lead of that. Like he is just um, in these last two playoffs, we've just seen him sort of outplay Antetokounmpo in the first round last year, outplay Embiid in the second round last year, Yeah, execute. Like, I mean, they, they, sh- they came so close to beating Cleveland uh, last year, if they don't shoot so poorly from three-point range in Game Seven, they probably win that series. So I think you know there's there are the cases to be made that Boston knows how to win a playoff series. Just you know, as far as ex- game plan and execution, and and that that this is this is their time really um, versus a, a Bucks team that maybe was a stronger regular season team than it is a playoff team. But you know, we'll see yeah. going forward. Still a lot to be determined on that end. And the other side, I uh, I had. Raptors in seven in uh, Toronto, Philly. After game one, I was thinking, man, I should have picked Raptors in five. Um, <laughs> and still, I still don't know. I still, I still think Toronto is the better team. I just think Philly's depth is is bad. Even though I just brought up the point that the Philly has won those hybrid sort of minutes. Yes, I do think Toronto can get a little bit more out of its bench, and I think if they do sort of uh, make that adjustment as far as Gasol versus Embiid. They've done well against Embiid so far, and if they take him, continue to take him away, they should have the advantage. So, what what did you think of uh, Philly, Toronto? Any and and do you have any second thoughts on your sort of non published pre series <laughs> yeah, predictions? The only um, the only team I've ever thought um, would win the East, other than the Boston Celtics, which was my choice, you know, from the beginning of the year. Um, before you know, I saw all the bumps and hiccups that 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 group had. Was Philadelphia? I still think they'll emerge from uh, the series against Toronto. I, I um, Embiid to me is is you know one of the best players in the game, and um, I think they've got some uh, late game capability with with uh, Jimmy in particular, but just yeah. with the multiple weapons they have out there. And I know their bench isn't much, but you know, if you can spot two or three of their their mainline guys with the um, with a couple subs and, and manage those minutes, yeah, I just they just seem awfully potent to me, and and a, and a team that um, might grind down some of uh, Toronto's top guys. I would I would say uh, seven game series and, and probably just slip over onto the Sixers side. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't bring up. Jimmy Butler was terrific in game two. I mean, he took on the sort of offensive load and was fantastic. He got a couple big buckets off of kickouts from Embiid, but also did a lot of the work himself. He was really the uh, the Sixers offense. Mentioned that Sixers offense has not been great in this series, but they need something, and Butler gave it to him in, in game two. So game three of Toronto-Philly is Thursday night, 8 p.m. ESPN. Friday night uh, is an ESPN doubleheader. Bucks Celtics game three at eight, and uh, Nuggets Blazers game three at ten thirty. Saturday is uh, one game, eight thirty p.m. on ABC. Uh, Warriors Rockets. We haven't talked about that series at all. It's two zero Warriors, but uh, both games have been competitive. They haven't exactly been dominant. Kevin Durant has been dominant, but it's been a little bit of an ugly series so far. And and I think. Uh, 
Houston certainly has the ability to get back in that series going home. That's it for this edition of the Hang Time Podcast. We'll be back Monday with another episode. Follow all of our playoff coverage on NBA TV and NBA.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. See you next time.